Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Leaders Performance Podcast. My name is John Porch, the editor here at the Leaders Performance Institute, and I hope you're all staying safe and healthy. Today's episode brings you my chat with Mia Stelberg, a licensed psychologist with a long history of working with athletes in Olympic sport and now esports. She made the transition into esports in 2016, and some of Mia's best known clients are Astralis, who are Counter Strike Global Offensive Champions, OG, who are Dota champions, as well as Riot and SK Gaming. Now I'll admit those names are largely unfamiliar to me and I'm certainly still trying to get my head around esports if I'm honest. But my interest in talking to Mia was to talk to someone with a foothold in both camps, traditional sport and the esport world. She has a degree in psychotherapy and has specialised in sports psychology so I was curious to ask what lessons there are to be drawn from conventional sports from the world of gaming. And it turns out there's more than you might think. And she provides me some tips and thinking points which may serve you well, particularly during this pandemic when human interaction is uppermost in our thinking. Speaking of the pandemic, we've covered sports performance responses to COVID-19 at considerable length on our performance hub. So do go and check that out after you've listened to this. Just last week, we conducted a leaders virtual roundtable that focused on remote team working and creating conditions for effective collaboration and problem solving. We also spoke to Mark Shapiro, the president and CEO of the Toronto Blue Jays, about the club's efforts to mitigate sports shutdown. That's part of our new podcast mini-series called At Home With Leaders, which is well worth keeping an eye on over the coming weeks. Anyway, these can both be found at leadersinsport.com slash performance alongside the rest of our performance insights. Now, this conversation with Mia Stelberg takes a broader focus and there is plenty of food for thought. So let's get into the conversation without any further ado. Mia Stelberg, you're very welcome to the Leaders Performance Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Can we please begin by looking at your career journey? What led you into esports? Oh dear, how much do you have time? (laughs) So uh, to make it short, um, I've been working as a psychologist now for 20 years approximately, and my path to esport is... uh, it's a very interesting one. Um, when I graduated, I was working uh, with uh, patients. I was working as a psychotherapist uh, doing diagnostic work for 10 years first. Uh, so I had the very clinical approach to psychology and human well-being. And uh, then I started having quite many athletes as patients. And it started, I, I got really curious about the fact that why do these Olympic athletes, why do these highly successful people, performance people come to uh, seek help? Uh, because I always had the, the thought of, of athletes living the good life in a sense. Um, and then I went back to the university uh, to specialize into sports psychology so that I would have more tools to help these people. So um, that was um, the first steps for me to enter that world. And what are the sort of challenges that athletes would approach you with? What were some of the questions they were looking to answer? Well, you know, uh, first I would have to mention burnout, stress, um, having to cope with disappointments. They do have a lot of things on their to-do list and they are expected to perform. And I think that's something we can all relate to that, Um, especially these days. um, It's quite much about what you can do in in as shortest time as possible and and how you can perform and be individually 
stellar, but then be amazing in, in, in teamwork and uh, just year after year improving. So I think that was one key factor. Uh, then the second one was self-esteem issues, um, problems with how you cope with yourself, because sometimes when you are so caught up with the performance part, being the athlete, you don't have time to discuss with yourself. You don't have time to talk about how am I doing, necessarily even have the day-to-day routines that you would like to have. You are living the life that's decided for you. So that would be um, the two like key factors would be the, the stress and then the issues that, that these athletes had with their own personalities or their lives, self-esteem, etc. You've described it quite nicely there. But what about your transition into esports? Are there parallels there between challenges faced by esport players and traditional athletes? Yes, definitely. Um, for me, that was one of the biggest surprises. So yes, um, when I graduated from the sport psychology section, I started working in traditional sports uh, with Olympic athletes and, and such. And there I found out more about what it takes to become the champion or to, to win the medal. And sometimes you have to sacrifice a lot for that. And uh, when I got the offer to start working in esports, that was back in 2016, I first declined because I was a bit worried can I integrate those two worlds? Can I use the tools that I'm using in traditional sports in, in the gaming world? But then I decided to take the challenge. And for me, it was a very, very big surprise to see that it's quite similar. All human behavior is similar. All human needs are similar. So in that sense, for me, if you're a football player or an esports player, the differences are su surprisingly small. So when you made that transition in 2016, what were some of the challenges players faced in terms of their own well-being? In what ways did they chime with what you'd experienced in Olympic sport? And in what ways did they surprise you? I think they had the same kind of problems that any young guy at their 20s. So who am I? How can I maximize my performance? What kind of a teammate am I? How do I function under pressure? Am I committed enough to deliver? Um, how can I prevent some problems in my life, in gaming, especially burnout? Having the maturity is sometimes also a thing where people do need assistance. We can all remember how it was when we were 20. And these 20-year-olds, the gamers, they are growing up in front of huge audiences. They have so many people following them. The social media is not always very supportive. So they are quite individual in their needs. Uh, they are quite individual in their strengths and weaknesses. But the needs that they had were very similar to the issues that I faced uh, with athletes from traditional sports. In light of some of those issues, what does your day-to-day -day work look like? And in what ways can you provide individualized support to gamers? Oh, dear. You know, the funny thing about the world of gaming is that I don't have a normal week. So um, <laughs> I could, I, I'm in Shanghai for 11 days. And then I'm going to fly to Finland for two days uh, to sleep, uh, to rest. And then I'm going to go to Berlin. And there I have completely different problems, teams, issues, perhaps even recruiting people, uh, preparing for a new season. So... Um, 
just to, to generalize is that I work with very many different games. I work for Dota, I work for League of Legends, for Counter-Strike, Overwatch. Um, so they all have their seasons starting or finishing in, in, in a very different cycle. Um, and then obviously the teams and the companies um, that I'm working with, some of them are the best ones in the world and some of them want to become the best ones in the world. So um, the work is quite different from week to week. But yeah, in general, it is about structure. In general, it's about having an organization that enables success. So my work as a psychologist is not about talking about emotions and singing Kumbaya. Uh, it's about having the right team supporting the right people, having the right athlete to become the best combination possible. So sometimes it is about planning. It's about finding the right people. It's about finding the, the right piece for the puzzle. So it might be that, or, or then it might be supporting uh, a new coach, finding his role, um, helping him, consulting him in different kind of issues, because quite often the coaches, for example, in the gaming world, are experts in gaming, but not necessarily in human relations or problem prevention or group dynamics. So I am their support in their role. Um, sometimes we have an athlete who's worrying me in some form, perhaps not feeling that good, not performing that good, having issues with other people. So then I might work on that. Um, so in that sense, all weeks are very different. And I find it very, very fascinating that I have the chance to adapt to whatever the need they have. So I'm not going to go there with the format this is me, this is how we're going to function. I'm going to go there and have a look on Monday, what we have, what kind of ingredients we have for this week and what we can cook from that. So it's my approach to the work of a psychologist in the gaming world. You talk about the different needs that people have, whether they are players or coaches. You also talk about the extensive travel around the world. Yes. Um, do you try to be a visible presence in the same way as a coach? Also, do you look to make interventions or do you wait for a player to come and see you first? Absolutely. The intervention part is crucial in preventing problems. And I think that if you are good at what you do, you can prevent problems before they become issues. So yes, prevention is key. But if I have a new team, if I have new people around me, Perhaps we have recruited five new players and uh, we have a team that's quite green. Obviously, I need to approach them a bit more smoothly, give them a bit more time. And I think important factor or, or one of the most important factors is that you form a relationship with people. And when you have the relationship, that enables you to do your job. So before it, I don't have that. I need to be a bit more conservative and just let time flow. It doesn't take that many weeks, obviously, but still it's very different when you have an athlete you've been working with for five years. You can go and say, hey, come on, you know, how are you doing, you know, and, and be frank. And then if you have a, a absolutely new 19-year-old that we have just recruited from Czech Republic, um, you don't want to scare them off by having too many opinions you need to adapt. 
also to that. It's really important always to respect the client. Although I have knowledge, I always say that everybody is their own experts. So talking of a 19-year-old coming in from the Czech Republic, or maybe even an athlete in traditional sports, are they surprised with the world that they find when they become a professional? What I mean is, they may have dreamed of being a professional gamer or an athlete, and they may be excited about the competition and the winning, but that doesn't necessarily take into account the travel, living arrangements, or the stresses you've already described today. Yes, absolutely. You're, you're 100% right. So who can, at that age, who can predict what's going to happen? And quite often, it is a tougher world that you have expected because the difference in gaming compared to all other disciplines is that in gaming, it is a hobby and you coach yourself. You play because it feels good. You want to improve and you are quite much surrounded by your peer group and quite much playing from your home. Then when we have a football player or ice hockey player, they have had coaches support a team around them, maybe a club supporting them from the age of seven, eight, nine or 10. And they are much more prepared to the professional world being on time and doing what they do because it's considered as a profession and it's much more structured. But in the world of gaming, when you become good enough that you get a contract, the day when you sign that paper is the first day when you get the coach to assist you. That's the, that's the chance that you have for the first time in your life to have professional people around you. And usually the first thing what they tell you is, now you have to win. So it would be the same thing compared to somebody being recruited to NHL from a situation where you've been playing ice hockey by yourself on a lake next to your house. And when the hobby becomes the career, do you find that gamers struggle to find work-life balance? Absolutely. Yes, it's one of the biggest issues I have in my work is to make sure that they don't burn out and that they would have a good balance. Because when we are talking about a hobby, when we are talking about a passion, when we are talking about playing and gaming, it's part of you. You don't necessarily look at it as, okay, now I'm stepping in, I'm, I'm going in front of my PC, now I take my work role and now I'm executing something. No, it's, it's very personal and the identity that you have while gaming, it's very similar that you have uh, when you're spending free time. Yet again, compared to the ice hockey player or the football player who understands I'm playing right now, I'm competing right now, but when I go home, I do other stuff. So gaming is integrated much more deeper into the world of a young guy or a young girl. You've spoken at length about the individualized work that you do, but what sort of impact can you have on team dynamics and team support? Where can you have your biggest impact as a psychologist? I think it's really important. I, I would love to answer uh, that it's huge. Obviously, that's something that I'm aiming for. So we have five individuals, mostly in a team, that we need to have on the same page that we need to have communicating fluently that we need to have the same kind of strategy or the approach to what whatever game or an event or um, 
and a title. So yes, the work with teams, it's actually quite challenging sometimes because we might have a person A who needs this and that and then C needs something completely the opposite. So it's about making compromises. But yeah, the teamwork and the the work with the entire organization is highly important. And my goal is always to integrate the psychology part into their everyday life. I want to have a, a player or an athlete that have a life that's structured in a way that the mental well-being is already in the system, that the way how they look at themselves or how they are spoken to is something that supports their mental well-being. So it's not about having perhaps many one-on-one talks or many team meetings or these kind of workshops. It's about planning and executing the everyday or the weekly chores in a way that we maintain balanced. With that thinking in mind, how can you best serve as the right hand of the coach? That's a term you've used in the past. Can you describe that dynamic? How can you be there to provide support in training or during a competition? Well, there are many, many options. You know, sometimes we even do the good cup, bad cup thing. You might guess which one I am. Um, Sometimes um, the coach needs somebody to back them up. He says something. He needs somebody to, to support him in that. Sometimes the coach, as I mentioned, wants to consult, wants to have more information since they are experts in gaming not human relations or well-being. Sometimes we plan with the coach which events we attend, how much is enough. Um, So that's some form of, of collaboration. But I think the most important thing is that all support staff, which I am and the coaches, we always speak the same language and we always have the same message. So just providing clarity in how information is shared and clarity in how things are executed is something that I like to support the coach quite much with. Sometimes they get so focused on the gaming itself, you know, that I think it's a good balance to have somebody asking like, yeah, so when do these guys have time to recuperate or when do they have lunch or do you think that it would be enough to practice six days a week instead of seven or um, having the dialogue a bit more openly or having uh, somebody asking you questions while you're doing this is it the best way or is it just something you're used to so obviously that depends on the coach as well if we have a very very experienced coach then it's more about just supporting each other um, versus a green one who needs quite much to show how things are done and how things should be done in, in, in everyday life. So the conversations that you have with a coach are an opportunity to educate them when it comes to well-being and psychological support. Absolutely. And education is something that's quite often asked from me. Also, when we have the coaches um, in the organizations, they want me to support them because the fact is that, I mean, there are lots of good coaches, but the fact is that they are not educated. They don't have a school for esport coaches. They don't necessarily have a place where you can get a degree in that. So quite often they are ex-players. Quite often they're people that are experts in gaming, although they do a good job. 
but yes, it's about education. You mentioned having a universal language that enables you to have these conversations. Does that involve you adapting to their way of speaking, or do you introduce terminology to coaches and players yourself? It's, I think it's both. I'm, I'm trying to understand them. I'm trying to explain uh, what I have on my mind the best way possible, and then they reply. And obviously, I'm, I'm 42 years old, so sometimes I'm a mom. Sometimes I nag. Um, sometimes I, I speak from experience. Sometimes I'm wrong. So the roles are very, very um, advert. I mean, they change. You never know. You just need to remain observant and know which role to take. Yes, absolutely. When you're spending time with the team, do you look to wear the uniform or do you look to separate yourself from the coaching staff? I wear the uniform because it's us. Always when we are representing a team, uh, the us, the, the team spirit, the, the proud or the pride to be a part is really important. And I'm super proud to be a part of these teams that I'm working with. So obviously showing that, having the uniform, wearing, wearing the colors or the logos is, is a big part of that. It's, it's us. They're not alone. There are so many people supporting them. I want you to continue to focus on the education side of your role, particularly the question of emotional regulation. What emotions tend to be at play and what skills do you look to impart that they can turn to on their own? Well, the range of emotions that a player can face, it's, you, you just think of it, you name it, there are so many different emotions in their mind. So you can experience all your emotions during one weekend. It's a roller coaster ride. And again, let's remember that mostly it is young people taking the roller coaster ride and sometimes for the first time. So emotional regulation is very important in problem prevention and also in preventing burnouts. The more the more they understand their emotions so that they can name emotions, they, they can explain, they can understand what they are feeling and how that feeling came to occur is the first step. So we can never control anything that we are not aware of. So first, you need to be aware of your emotions. Sometimes this is the most tricky part of my work is to talk about emotions to young guys at age 20 who just wants to rule the world and play and win the title. So, yes, understanding what you're feeling. Uh, then the second step is to understand how that feeling occurs or what needs to happen before it pops up. So if we want to prevent some negative feelings, we, we need to understand what happens before it comes so we can learn how to control, to prevent. For example, if you have two big expectations, you are bound to be stressed. And then again, when you're stressed, you are bound to underachieve. And then because you underachieve, you have a lower self-esteem. So there you have it. So it's the domino effect. And when, when we think about the emotions and the range that we are feeling, it's, um, it's a task that, that's never complete. But yes, understanding the emotions, um, what you're feeling and, and how they are experiencing them and, and from what kind of uh, 
circumstances they occur from is, is really important. It's interesting to hear you say that because coaches and support staff in conventional sports have traditionally seen emotions as a hindrance to peak performance and maybe even as a weakness. That presumably is the wrong way to look at it? Absolutely. Um, as you know, my background in, in psychotherapy and, and clinical work for 10 years, suppressing, any, suppressing emotions, you're just putting something in a box and hoping that it stays there. And then we are in big problem at some point of your career. So I want to have a solid foundation on the psychological part that it does not crack under pressure and you are allowed to feel emotions and what I think is that when we learn how to maneuver with emotions it's a huge power and there's so much energy that we can make work for us so we should not fear emotions and think they makes that they would make us feel or perform under our our level. We just need to know who they are so they can become our friends. We need to form an alliance with the emotions so that they enable us and, and support us in, in whatever we are aspiring for. Do you find that older, more experienced players can be an advocate for the work that you are doing? Absolutely. And uh, I think that's something that I do benefit from um, since I have the experienced, seasoned, successful players talking about it that, yeah, I do have a psychologist that I work with. Yeah, you know, we work on this and that. So I think that's making the psychological work in esports much more common. It's, it's much more everyday. It's something that actually these days belongs in top performance. So they're actually even like proud of it. Like, yeah, you know, we are a solid team. I'm a professional player. I have a sports psychologist. So in that sense, I am so thrilled to see the change in young guys' attitudes and minds around the world when it is okay to talk, when it is okay to show emotions, when it is okay to ask for help. Because as a psychologist, I do know that, that young guys quite often tend to hide their feelings or avoid, avoid these issues. And that's something that affects the quality of their lives. You, you become a better spouse, you become a better student or worker, whatever you do for the rest of your life, when you know who you are and when you are working around the rough edges of your personality. You've talked about your transition from conventional sport and the commonalities that enabled you to make that leap. But what are some of the lessons in well-being and psychological support that traditional sports can learn from esports? Yeah, I do think that in some organizations and some teams, the psychology has a bigger role. So in that world, they have understood that in any form of gaming, the mental side takes 50, 60 to 70% of the performance. So said it more clearly, if you want to succeed, if you want to perform good, you have to understand that 50 to 70% of your performance comes from mental factors. Um, and in, in gaming, they have understood that versus then to traditional sports, which sometimes comes a bit delayed in their actions, meaning that they are sometimes a little bit more old fashioned thoughts like 
if you have a problem, go and talk to your mom about it. Or if you have a problem, just try to ignore it or be a man, you know, just take it, live with it. They don't necessarily always support openness or dialogue or or prevention. I, I mean, obviously, I'm not generalizing. There are a lot of excellent teams and a lot of disciplines that are very into sports psychology, but still sometimes it is um, a little bit behind compared to the esports world where the mental side is quite acknowledged. Um, then the second thing is that these gamers, these young guys, um, have to travel and have to perform and have to play a huge amount of games. So compared to traditional sports, you do not have seven to 15 games a week in any discipline. But in gaming, we have we have players playing in three different continents with huge jet lags week after week, traveling up to 200 days uh, a year, earning quite much, being on the spotlight. Um, so there are many things that makes the gaming world mentally extremely challenging. Being mindful of those challenges, what have been some of the lessons that you've learned over the past three or four years? Oh, so many. You know, I always say that the people I work with teach me more than I teach them. So when you have a curious mind and when you have the opportunity to work with so many fantastic people, there isn't a week where, I, where I'm not surprised or amazed or just in awe of everything. Uh, but to give you a, some sort of a, an answer to that, I would have to say that the demanding, hectic lifestyle, the fact that you have to grow over in one night, that when you become a professional, suddenly you're just put in the spotlight and you're playing in front of 10 million people. And just last month you were in your home. Uh, so I think that was a big, big surprise for me coming from traditional sports because that doesn't happen there. And then the traveling, the, the games, the, the, the and they have to adapt to things much more faster. The world of gaming is normal life, but in just warp speed. So in esports, three months is a year for us, everyone else. So there's sometimes you, you have like a rooster change. We, we change a player and then we go like, yeah, now we have the world championships in four weeks. <laughs> Let's practice. So that's something that you never get used to. I do love that because it's very challenging and it keeps everybody on their toes. But I think that's one of the reasons why gaming is very different from, from other sports. The final area I wanted to touch upon is the future of psychology in esports. You've been at the center of its development these past four years or so, but what lies ahead in such a fast moving world? It's going to grow exponentially. It's going to grow so fast that, like, for example, compared to the four last years, we've seen it change and double the revenue and, and how many people are watching and following the price money and everything is going up. And I think it's going to even go faster in the future. So the next two years is going to be something that we experienced in the past four years. World of gaming is 
it's I, I I don't think anyone can predict where it is going, but we all can agree that it's vast, it's huge, it's it's growing in 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 a, in a speed that nobody can predict where we are in two years. But do you feel there will be someone such as you embedded in most teams? Oh yeah, absolutely. I already see that now. Most of the teams are recruiting psychologists. They do understand the importance and that is also one key factor in recruiting good players. Because if you are a good seasoned player, you do not sign a contract if you do not like what they have to offer. So sometimes they are even saying, yes, we have this and that working in our staff. So we have the best possible way to nurture your talent. So yes, that's something that's going to be quite common in the future and it already is now quite common so I think all organizations and all teams that think of themselves being professionals would have uh, a sports psychologist in the future. It sounds like an exciting time to be involved. Oh yeah definitely front row seats. (laughs) That might be a great place to wrap things up Mia, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you very much for having me.